netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. This episode is brought to you by F-Track. Production tracking, version management, and review straight out of the box. For a free trial, go to www.ftrack.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast. I'm joined today by Mike Seymour here on the patio outside in Los Angeles. Welcome. Yes, we're actually a few hours away from the SciTech Awards here in Los Angeles. That We had a week of awards shows, haven't we, Jeff? Right. BES Awards were Wednesday night, and uh, you've just had a busy week running around Los Angeles in between. And, and, uh, and San Fran. Oh, and San Fran, that's right. Yep. That's been a really good week, and I'm recording stuff for FX PhD as well as for uh, FX Guide. And I've got to say, there's some really good movies coming up. We're under NDAs on, but uh, man, we got to see some amazing work, some really terrific work. And of course, terrific work showed at the um, awards this year, though the awards themselves didn't run smoothly. Look, we'll, we'll get to the <laughs> to this week's uh, interview in one second uh, with the founder of Arnold. But I think it's worth just having a couple of minutes to discuss the VES Awards. Sure. Um, you know... An award show is a lot of moving parts, and uh, they, some of these some parts of didn't broke. move very well. <laughs> no, they, they, they broke pretty gloriously. There were. I felt so sorry. If they, for those of you that don't know, one of the uh, categories, the uh, presenter announced the winner. The wrong infographic went up, and so that team came down and accepted an award, only to have them take it off them um, a minute or two later when they were backstage, and then re-given to the actual winners. Yeah, that it was, was the gravity models, I think, interior versus exterior, and they. The exterior one, but they no, no the interior slide. one. No, no yeah, exterior, exterior one. one but the slide but interior came up, right came up as a graphic. Yeah. yeah, there were a bunch of there were several screw ups, and I know the VES is mortified, and you know I've, I've oh there were lots. They were spelling people's names wrong, putting the wrong names on the wrong uh, like the wrong teams on the wrong actual right. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, DD team I know was uh, up for the Barrel of Monkeys thing, and there were two Iron Man submissions in that category, and the names for the things were reversed on the two different yeah. slides and they opened the wrong envelope at the wrong time so yeah it wasn't the wrong envelope they played the wrong clip everything that i could figure from the mistakes all happened from the booth everything happened well from then the they video should thing. fire who was ever in the booth because i gotta tell you the one thing that you'd really want like a professional organization to do i mean this is probably the most prestigious and singularly most popular event in the ves calendar yeah, and if you don't do it properly, then you tarnish the uh, kind of. Well, it's not yeah. even that. I don't even care that much about tarnishing the image. I just care about the people that did all the work that got nominated. Yeah, I mean, people flew in for this. There's a lot of attend. You know, there's a lot of you know, you're renting tuxes. You're out with your spouses. Sorry, we got some aircraft flying over, but you know, that's the joy of doing these things outside. It's a beautiful day, um, but you know, it, it's a big deal. It's it's you know, and you don't want to be embarrassed. And that happened to several people, and mostly the VES. And I'm sure they're. Like I said, mortified and working on solutions for next year. I mean, I wonder. In my my suggest, my my guess, if I had to guess, is that I don't remember seeing anything about this year's being televised. That you know, the previous few years, I know it's been running on some cable channel in the afternoon on a couple weeks later. Um, I haven't seen any announcement of that, and I'm just curious if maybe that means you get a different level of crew, or I don't know. It's just for me, it was like. You know, I didn't see anybody on stage that people could look to for answers either, which kind of bothered me. It's like the, the presenter realized what had happened, but it wasn't like somebody was right there on stage going, do this. And that seemed odd to me coming from a television background that there wasn't somebody there that you could, you know. I mean, it was really funny. And the host. Um, oh, Patton Oswalt is a god. That was hysterically funny. And 
But I've got to say, like, if I was one of the presenters, like, and we're talking about, like, name actors here who were uh, up on stage presenting. I mean, Michael, who's the, um, one of the lead characters in uh, Almost Human, or Michael one of the Ely, lead actors, yeah. um, just looked mortified. And I don't think it was his fault. And it wasn't his fault. And he was taking a lot of ribbing for it from people on the stage. And he, uh, I think, left early. He was at a table near us. And I think he got tired of the ribbing. But i got to say, like, uh, you just, why would you want to do it? I mean, I... I personally think it was just appalling yeah yeah that was it was, was, it was really bad it was it was but it was I, a good even night. Patton Oswalt called it a train wreck yeah he was so good oh my god I just really love Patton Oswalt I was so hopeful that, that he would get come back this year and he did and I hope they make him a permanent host of the event he would he just gets us he's you know yeah and he doesn't talk down to the crowd as if uh, it's a bunch of geeky um, nerds who, you know, are to be amused. Even if he does make a joke in that direction, it comes from a place of I'm one of you kind of, you know, he's... Oh, yeah. It, it works. He can do it. But it's, Man, you uh, really got low-flying aircraft today. Well, we're near the Santa Monica airport, so... Hey, um, one of the reasons for mentioning the awards show uh, as the you know, run-up to the um, uh, interview that I did with the uh, founder of... Solid Angle and Arnold is that they've uh, Arnold has dominated really heavily in terms of films that have been nominated uh, for Oscars, BAFTAs, VES, uh, even the Super Bowl spots. There were quite a lot of Super Bowl spots um, out of New York and LA, like the Audi, uh, Beats Music, um, Diet Mountain Dew, uh, the VW. That was they were all rendered with Arnold and um, Budweiser, Blackout. That was Arnold. Uh, so a ton of stuff. The uh, Geico stuff was all Arnold rendered. Hmm. So um, that's before we get to, of course, the, the actual Oscars in a couple of weeks for best visual effects in uh, a feature film. And again, really strong showing uh, as people are using Arnold. I'm not saying that Arnold has replaced uh, Render Man. And I will also say that I'm getting really great reports on uh, V-Ray and number of companies that are using uh, V-Ray. But, you know, certainly it has... Uh, landed very heavily this year in center stage as one of the uh, key renderers of choice for uh, major motion pictures and uh, and high-end commercials yeah and then you're going to the Cytex tonight in fact we're recording this the night of the Cytex yep yep going to the Cytex tonight with some really great uh, people being honored for the work that they've done we've uh, been posting stories um, on FX Guide about that we'll continue to do we've got a film box up at the moment we'll be doing other stories about uh, ILM with uh, Plume and Zeno, as well as a really big story on uh, Deep, as in Deep Compositing. Oh, and back to the VES real quick. The um, I really want to shout out to Ian down in our Sydney office because he and I worked together to uh, get pictures posted during the show. We were you tweeting. were a demon, man. You had like a gazillion hits on your Tumblr. Account. Yeah, the uh, the Flickr account had like twenty two thousand hits the day of. Uh, the day I posted. In fact, the you want to just give a plug if anyone wants to see those. Yeah, if you go like, to the FX Guide story on. Um, on the VES Awards, the the live updating story, it's a quick take in the in the main section of the site um, for this year's VES Awards. There were pictures that we so basically we had a fun setup. We had an iFi card uh, that we could post JPEGs directly to um, to the to the net, and then Ian would snag those and attach them to the proper winner category as we were going along, so we get live feed. But then I did a proper Lightroom pass through them and posted them at full resolution in Flickr. We do that every year, kind of just for the winners, so that you know. There's some nice shots that you can grab. Whenever there are live events like that that we're at, um, it's a good place to just follow us on uh, Twitter. That normally gives links to these things. Uh, so I was Twittering as at Mike Seymour, which is my Twitter account, and you're... I'm at Neon Marg. Now, why why are you Neon Marg? 
this is a good opportunity to explain this. Many, many years ago, at a birthday, my wife got me a neon margarita. Which we are sitting was, under looking at right now. We're sitting looking at it right now in the back of my house. And um, it was at that time when every time you moved, you changed from your email address. This was many, many years ago. And, you know, you'd move and you'd get a new cable company and you'd change sure. your email address. And I said, this is dumb. I should buy a domain name. And literally within hours of getting the birthday present, I went, neon margarita. Why not? So, so there is a large, is it an antique cocktail? It is. Song? It's actually from a bar in Barstow. Okay. It was on a bar in Barstow that got shut down, that it got the taken off that of. Anything that bothers me, and I, I have to say this to you, I've known you for a long time. I, I respect you the cherry tremendously. And the margarita bothers Why you? is there a cherry in your margarita? Yeah, it's a generic cocktail, and it, that's, it's not really a margarita, but we refer to it as a margarita because okay. that would be, it's, we had, Jen had it, when she gave it to me, she had it re-tubed with margarita colored glass. Well, just to prove a point, we'll take a snap of it and stick it in your Twitter feed. There you go. And uh, mine. But now, let's uh, go over to the interview I did uh, about a week ago, talking to the founder of Solid Angle. I wanted to catch up on what uh, Solid Angle had been up to, also um, discuss a few things uh, that they were doing, and also particularly discuss a few things about color space, uh, some stuff that had come up recently in the forums uh, over at uh, Solid Angle. So here's that interview now, recorded, as I say, about a week ago with the founder of Arnold Marcus. So uh, thanks for agreeing to talk to me. I do appreciate it. Thank you. The um, I guess what I wanted to do is do a bit of a catch-up with where uh, you're at and uh, where Arnold is at and also congratulate you because you've had such a terrific uh, showing in this year's uh, visual effects uh, award season in so far as so many uh, films have decided to use Arnold as their primary renderer. Yeah, oh, we're really excited. Like it's, it's uh, the, at the Oscars this year, the, at the Bake Offs, it's like... There's 10 movies at the Bake Off, so like seven of them were using Arnold, some of them exclusively, so that was great. It's also the same thing at the BAFTAs and the BES Awards. It's like it's all over the place, so it's a really, really good cheer for us. I'm really proud of the work that all of our customers are, are doing with Arnold. Of course, the other thing is you've launched a new website, which kind of is being read as being indicative of you wanting to broaden out to a broader user base because, uh, you know, famously, <laughs> your previous website was a little uh, short on uh, content. This is a much more of a uh, <laughs> collaborative or I should say inclusive website. Yeah, we've been working on that website for quite a few months and it was about time to release it. And yeah, I mean, for the last two two months or so, we've been working really hard on it and we're just so happy that it's finally out. It's been a lot of work. And yeah, we're slowly opening up to, to more customers and more studios. And uh, yeah, everything's uh, working as expected. We've got a lot of visitors for, for the first two weeks of, uh, of the website. So it's really exciting. So tell me, uh, if we can swing on to just uh, sort of the technical side of the uh, render itself. Um, what's new in, uh, in the world of Arnold? When we spoke to you last, um, it was about middle of last year. And I think you were getting ready to, I don't think you'd actually published your latest um, subsurface scattering stuff, but certainly you were getting prepared to publish that at SIDGRAPH. Right, so that's something we published last year at SIDGRAPH, and uh, it was a sketch or a talk at SIDGRAPH, and that's that's a technique that, that's been using production now for two years or so, and it's working really well. And, uh, uh, but it can it can also be improved. So that's that's another thing about about what we do with Arnold. Like uh, even though um, we're always releasing new technology, and you know usually these 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 new technologies that we develop are they, they look really good, but we know that they they can still be improved further. 
So we are still working on improving things like scattering and area lights and GI and all of these things inside the render. It, it's like a never-ending, uh, uh, you know, career or uh, race. There's always you can always make it better and faster. So we're still working on that. It, it's just surprising that after so many years, we're still challenging something, problems to work on. It's like a never-ending race. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, that, that that's one thing that that we're still working on today, and uh, and for that, um, we're actually expanding the dev team. So there's just going to be like uh, three more members of the team of the of the core render team. So th- there's a lot to do. It's just never ending. So the presentation that was at SIDGRAPH was, I think, jointly between uh, Solid Angle and Sony Pictures ImageWorks, which makes sense, and uh, it was called BSSRDF, as in um, uh, bi-directional important sampling, sa- yeah, reflectance distribution function stuff, and important sampling. And uh, the the sort of takeout I had from that was that it was a much uh, well, basically replaced a more complex point cloud implementation, and thus it was a lot easier for artists to use. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that and that um, the uh, yeah, the, so the, the main platform? the main the main idea of that of that technique of BSSR, the important sampling. Um, that, that's basically it. It's just a much easier system for the artist because there's a lot less controls. Traditionally, you, you have to use uh, point cloud methods for subsurface scattering, for efficient subsurface scattering. And we, we demonstrated that there's a way to, to do subsurface scattering rendering that is just as efficient, if not more efficient, than uh, the point cloud-based methods. And the cool thing is that there, there are less controls. There's just one sampling control. There's the number of samples that's that. There's no other quality controls in the method, which is great because usually with point-out-based point based methods, you had things like sample density, you had, um, you know, you had, you had point clouds that you had to store and pre-process and filter, and it was, it was complicated to, to just tweak and tune the parameters of those point clouds to get just the right quality in the render. And well, you know, we just simplified it. It's just one sampling control, and it gives you. If that sample setting is very low, it's going to give you noise. If it's uh, set too high, it's going to, you know, you're not going to have a noise that's going to be a slow render. So it's just one, you know, knob that you have to tweak. And that's how you trade off uh, render time for quality, and that just makes a world of a difference. Uh, there's, there's no. But it also had the. It- yeah. It's not just a simplicity thing, right? Because one of the things I wasn't aware of is how it actually produced a more correct result for motion blur, for example. Well, exactly. I mean, it's not just that it's easier to tune and it's also more memory efficient because there's no, there's nothing that has to be stored in memory. But, but that's the thing. Like with the point loss, you have to pick one particular time in your, in your aperture uh, time range mm-hmm. where you computed the point cloud. Usually, they'll be at the beginning of the frame or at the middle of the frame. Uh, well, with our system, you can, you can just distribute these samples across time, across the full range of, of the aperture time. So you get, you get beautiful motion blur effects as well. So you're totally right. So, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of this method. It uses less memory. It's, it's easier to tweak. Um, what else? Uh, it can be faster as the scattering radius is smaller and smaller. And you get motion blur, and you get a bunch of other benefits, and it's just great. It's just uh, we're so happy that we finally cracked it after so many years trying to figure out how to how to do it. 
And it was, it was a great collaboration yeah, not, between Sony and us. So it's something that we started yeah. developing at Solid Angle. And when the Sony guys saw that we were working on that, they were like, oh my God, these guys are finally you know, solving that problem. And we have that problem right now for this movie. Uh, what was it? Um, Sony Pictures Animation movie. Um, what was it? Uh, it was um, Hotel Transylvania. Cloudy with Meatballs too, wasn't it? No, it was, no, it was, it was, it was Hotel, in, uh, Hotel Transylvania. Transylvania. So they had, in Transylvania, they had shots with a lot of, basically all of the characters in the movie were in some of the shots with the crowds. And, you know, the, the existing system that they had with point clouds just taking way too much uh, time to pre-process and pre-compute those point clouds. So they just, they were, they were not going to make it. And it was just a great coincidence that we were working on that at the time. So they jump on and help us uh, make that even more efficient. So it was, it was just the perfect example of a collaboration between us. It did seem that, like, not to take anything away from the previous research, but a lot of it was focused on diffusion profiles. And it didn't really occur to me um, until the SIGGRAPH thing about the issue with being time-based. Um, um, because just focusing on improving diffusion profiles doesn't necessarily deal with the issues because of the point cloud um, of the motion blur. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I got your question, but so like a lot of the previous research was on improved diffusion profiles, like making the diffusion profiles yes. slightly more realistic, and, and that's great, and that, yes. that's definitely you know uh, very interesting research. But um, the way to to compute these things it didn't really change. It was just making the formula slightly more 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 realistic, but the process didn't change. And that's what we set out, set out to do. We, we wanted to make the process uh, faster and easier to, to use. So it's like two two ways of improving the state of the of the art, right? You can you can make things slightly more realistic, incrementally more realistic, or you can make the, the whole process different for the for the artist, but while keeping the quality the same. So those things, those two things are important in their own right. And both need research and, and you know, we're, we're just happy to be pushing in one of those directions. But hopefully in the future, we'll be also pushing in the other direction and making things even more realistic. I think the other thing that you're working on around that time, and again, it was in uh, sort of sync with Sony and their version of Arnold was um, non-uniform uh, heterogeneous lighting, or rather, should I say, uh, um, volumetric rendering with non-uniform heterogeneous lighting right and so getting because uh, your your volumetric lighting especially on homogeneous lights is great right it's really easy to use the volumetric lights are beautiful yeah. um, but non-uniform is a more difficult problem yeah well that's something that, that it's not working great that, that's not, let, me, let me remember there's two parts of that uh, to this uh, whole thing about volumetric rendering and uh, we published these two ideas together, um, Chris Kula and myself. And one part of the problem, one part of the problem uh, was about homogeneous uh, media, where we have this thing called equi, was it called equiangular something? Um, so that's great. And then uh, Chris at Sony, he developed this idea um, called uh, what was it called? Decoupled remarching for heterogeneous sampling. So. Those two techniques actually work together very well. They help each other. So that, that was great. So this is something that, that the, the Sony guys uh, developed further than us for a while. 
now we've been catching up and implementing a lot of those ideas into into our branch of Arnold and making that even better as well. So we're like right now we're actually making that even better. So you get less noise in the renders and faster render times. So yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a very active area of research. And like I said before, it's just a never-ending you know race for improvement. There's always you can always make that. I mean, volume rendering is always going to be slow. There's always you know it's not an easy problem. It's a it's a, it's a complex mathematical problem with many dimensions. So it's you know it's never going to be. It's never going to be like super, super real time, and, 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 and you know, so there's, there's still a lot of. Uh, I think that there's still a lot of room for improvement, and that's why we want to continue working on that problem. It's one of the one of the new members of the team that we just hired. It's actually an expert in uh, this sort of uh, volumetric rendering problems. You might have heard this um, article that Disney uh, released recently that that made quite a lot of uh, 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 splashes in the in the news. Um, I don't know if, you're, if you know what I'm talking about, but Disney um, released this paper called, uh, I don't even know the name of the paper, it was really complicated uh, title, but it was, the, uh, it was a paper about volumetric rendering with, uh, with you know, yep. with beams in a, in a room, and they, they claimed yep. that they were getting The like, on density stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, they claim that they had like 100 times faster renders than previous methods, and stuff. Yeah, which is great. And, and you know that's the sort of thing that we're going to be continuing uh, working on. So that's just um, the main developer from, from that research. Uh, he's now working at Solidango. So you know there's, there's still so many problems, so many sampling problems that people think of something and rendering as a solved problem, but it's not. There's just you know the, the researchers that publish these ideas every year. When they publish these little incremental improvements, they still have a lot of uh, problems in the back of their heads, saying, oh, "Okay, okay, we're publishing this, but I know that that it must it must be something even better because this problem is so so dense, it's so complicated that, that it must be something even better." So <laughs> it, that's that, like I said, for me, that's the that's the interesting and exciting thing about working in, in this field. It's just you know, when you thought that you had the most efficient system on the planet, somebody else comes over and, and proves you wrong. And it just makes, you, it just makes it very exciting. So you're referring to the joint importance sampling yes. of low-order volumetric scattering? That's it. So that's something that we don't have implemented in our system yet because that particular article mostly concerned uh, about um, uh, bidirectional path tracing which is something that we don't do yet in Arnold. So some of the techniques in that paper are not yet applicable to Arnold, but we're going you know, we're, we're looking at them. And, uh, but, you know, even, even if we didn't use the ideas in that paper, we, we're still working on the problem. We might be able to find even better ways to solve those problems. Yeah, that was published at SIGGRAPH uh, Asia at the exactly. end of last year, and it definitely uh, got quite a lot of attention. Um, and yeah, and I think it involved the Disney Zurich research guys as well as uh, a few other universities and stuff. Um, let me ask you this. When I spoke to you last, you were also working with Fume Effects and Luma Pictures on implementing volumetric effects in Arnold. Right. Has that continued? Yeah, so uh, let me see. That was a collaboration between the developer of Fume Effects, Giuseppe Sati, and Luma Pictures, and also Digic Pictures in Hungary. Um, on right, yeah. ourselves, so that's uh, we actually provide. Like, if you go to our website, you can actually download the the Fume Effects uh, an extension to our Maya plugin, 
and it's all there, and you can use it and test it. And um, but but again, it's something that you know it works great. But I think that we can make it even better, even faster. So we're going to be working on making that even better. You talked about your Mayer plugin, which um, of course is pivotal. But uh, where are you with Houdini? With Houdini, um, well, we have a pretty good Houdini plugin. It's been in uh, development for more than a year, and just like with everything that we do, we're, we're very, we, you know, we don't like to release things that are not really um, production proven uh, and robust. So we could release that plugin right now if we wanted, but we'd rather just wait a little bit more until it's like really nice and production tested. It's actually that Houdini plugin has already been uh, used for things like the um, Doctor Who special that was uh, done recently yep. by a few companies, uh, mostly Milk Visual Effects. Milk Visual Effects is, um, uh, you know about The Mill, right, in London. The Mill yes. had a TV department, and the TV department was uh, shut down or was closed or whatever, and those guys set up a new company called Milk. And those guys are now using Maya and Houdini, and they're one of our probably the best tester we have for the Houdini plugin, so they're doing great work with it. So even before we thought that the Houdini plugin was ready for production, they actually used it without telling us. And then, you know, we're very happy that we're getting great feedback from them. And it kind of shows that... We, we spoke to uh, Murray Barber from uh, Milk over that um, uh, Doctor Who thing in December. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was using uh, H2A, or Houdini plugin. Um, well, it seemed to work great. I mean, it wasn't smooth sailing. I mean, there, there were little problems with the plugin because, like I said, we, we don't think we're, you know, fully happy with the state of the plugin yet, but it's getting there. And it was definitely enough for them to, to, to you know, to produce that, that show. And it gave us great feedback to improve certain areas of the plugin. So it's, it's, getting, it's getting into really good shape, and I think it's going to be released very soon. We'll see. So, sort of very soon, as in, uh, you know, weeks, months uh, before the end of the year. What, what's... I, I, the thing, the thing about about our product, I don't really like to give dates because it's like you'll be ready, <laughs> be ready when it's ready. You know, like I'd rather just delay things a little longer until we're really happy with it, than than just say, okay, it's going to be released in March, and that's that, and it will be released even if it's buggy. I'd rather just take a bit longer and, you know, whenever our developers tell me that they're happy with the software and and it's in a good state, then we'll do it. So one of the factors that must come into that is memory efficiency because it's probably the single most referenced aspect of Arnold. It's it's not bloated. It's very memory efficient. And presumably, um, you know, you're trying to sustain that moving forward. Uh, yes. So, what's the question again about memory efficiency? I'm just saying that memory efficiency has always been kind of a trademark of Arnold. Yeah. And um, I assume that's something that you're still focused on in terms of your R&D. Oh, definitely. That's. Uh, I mean, uh, to give you some some perspective. Um, so, Gravity. Gravity was made at Friend Store. Uh, I think it was two years ago or something. It's funny because like yeah. the movie was released recently, in November or, or October, November last year. But the movie was actually finished almost a year earlier. They actually, you know, uh, they kept the movie just there for for a year because they wanted to time it with the award season or whatever. So it was like Gravity used a version of Arnold from you know two years ago, and um, so most of the well, shots in Gravity. Are- sorry. 
they picked Arnold in late 2010, didn't they? I mean, that's when they decided yeah, to use that, Arnold. Yeah, that's when they, they, were, they were trying it, testing it, and the, the movie started like again, around 10 ago. or something. But by the time they were actually, you know, rendering most of the shots, that was like, you know, two years ago or something. So um, yeah. I think most of the shots, this, this, this data, I got it from Martin Preston, uh, head of R&D at Friendster. Um, most of the shots had something like 500 million uh, unique non-instanced triangles, and most of the render nodes have uh, 24 gigabytes of memory. So that's about the ballpark of, of how many polygons you could store two years ago in, uh, in Arnold, 500 million triangles in 24 gigs of memory. Today, we can store almost twice as many because of the recent memory optimization we've been working on. So if they were wow. to use, you know, to render gravity again, they would, you know, they could, they could either use twice as much complexity or just, uh, you know, use half as much uh, memory. So that, that's pretty cool. And, and that's something that we're still working on. still, like I said, it's a never-ending race. When you thought that you had the most efficient system on the planet, you know, a, a developer comes with a new idea and says, you know what, I think we can pack things even tighter. And, and that's it. And that's how we make improvements. Let me ask you about something else that we haven't spoken about in the past, but it's incredibly important. It's maybe not as sexy as as uh, some of the stuff with subsurface scattering. But um, what's the color pipeline workflow through Arnold like? Because you don't uh, subscribe to anything like Open Color IO or anything. Um, what's your attitude towards? Uh, I mean, obviously you you advocate a linear uh, pipeline, but where are you at with that? Um, there's there's a few ways in that in, in which you can um, have a linear color workflow. It really changes with each company. Like uh, you know, it's mostly about the texture maps. Um, you know, are, are the texture maps uh, floating point linear, or are they you know JPEGs, or, or what are they? So depending on what, what those things are, uh, it could be a really easy problem that Arnold solves automatically out of the box or it could be a slightly more complicated problem. So at the end of the day, um, it's just about what input textures you throw into the render. And well, it's that partly because I agree with you, if it's an 8-bit JPEG, it's going to have a gamma baked in and stuff. But it's not strictly that simple, is it? Because I think uh, Mari can do an open EXR that has a gamma in it. And um, and certainly, uh, you know, it's possible that uh, people are making you 16-bit textures that are... Uh, without a, a gamma baked in, you're not assuming based on file type alone, are you, about the gamma of the images that are coming into your texture space? Yeah, yeah so that's tricky. So uh, I guess what I was going to say is that if the studio really knows what they're doing, they always have the opportunity to just write a little gamma correction node or color correction node and put that in yeah. front of the texture node and do whatever exact color correction they think they need for that particular texture map. So for, you're right in that for certain combinations of uh, texture or um, file formats and combinations of you know uh, gamma settings inside that file format, we might not automatically detect what that is. But um, for most of the, of the situations, we do. And so it's, it's still pretty easy. Uh, it's, it's only that the really high-end places that are doing you know, crazy things like that, like having different, different types of texture maps with different types of uh, encodings and things like that. So, you know, usually those guys know what they're doing. And, you know, it's pretty easy to write a color correction note for that. Um, in terms of uh, Open Color I.O., we, we don't use it yet. I don't think we've had a huge need for, for including that yet. 
in Arnold, uh, we'll probably take a look at it. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if we feel there's a, if we feel like the benefit of including open core IO in Arnold outweighs the disadvantages of doing so. Like, like, for example, you know, every time you include a new library in the render, you make, you make the whole project bigger, more complicated to link and compile. So we think, if we think that the advantages uh, are good, then we'll do it. But, um, so far there hasn't been a, a huge need for it. I'm I'm just sensing that, um, like Maya, for example, doesn't have probably a really good color flow yet. Um, you know, they don't have a decent linear color chooser. They they are, uh, but they're moving Autodesk towards sort of a more unified and and sort of better uh, color workflow. And of course, that's what we want. We want you know to have uh, things much. Obviously, we're not going to solve the problem of uh, baked in colors in in JPEG, uh, gaking gammas in JPEGs and stuff, but we, we would like between the 3D packages to get a very consistent and kind of uh, simple system. I mean, somebody yeah. asked me a question the other day and I just literally couldn't answer it. Somebody asked me why inside Arnold you have a um, gamma correction that happens, uh, like you have a d display driver gamma, but you also have a gamma correction on lights, shaders, as well as the textures. Now, I can get the textures, right? But why do you want a gamma yeah. correction on the shaders and lighters? I couldn't answer yeah, that question. So yeah, well, when I added those options, the shader gamma and the light gamma, that was that was when I was working at the ICT with Paul Devetic back in 2001 or two for the no, Parthenon project. <laughs> so that that's where we started. And what it is, it's exactly what you described. Like when you're working in Maya and you need to pick a color for your, you know, uh, lumbarian surface or you have to pick a color for, the, for your lights, well, you're presented with a color picker in Maya, okay? And... Um, you know, I have no idea what, what Maya is presenting to the user. Is that is that uh, in linear space? Is it not? What kind of uh, you know what is it, what is the user seeing exactly? I have no idea. So I had to add those controls so that the user would you know would perhaps the user knows exactly what Maya is doing and then you know tell Arnold, oh okay, Maya is not color correcting. There's a color picker, so so you have to do it. So then the user would, t would type okay. Light gamma 2.2, and so every time they would click on on a color in a color picker, then Arnold would know how to linearize that, that color. So that's what it is. It's just a way to linearize the color pickers that you have in in the 3D applications. And different 3D applications, you know, do this differently. You never know what's going on. Maya has been notorious for not doing that right for for a long time, um, but I'm sure they're working on that if they haven't fixed it already. So it's just those controls in Arnold are a way for, for you to, you know, to tell Arnold that those colors for the light sources or for the shader colors, um, you know, that, that they should be linearized if, 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 the, if the 3D application is not doing that. And of course, when you're rendering out in OpenEXRs, you don't need a gamma and you wouldn't put one in. Um, what, what about color space, though? Are you assuming an sRGB color space? Um, uh, well, with those two controls that, that we're talking about, the light gamma and the, and the shader gamma. No, no, those, I was actually talking about the output. Yeah, go on. Well, with those two controls... When I'm rendering we, out files. Oh, yeah. when you're rendering out files. Well, usually, most of the time, people just render out EXR files. And those are, you know, purely linear. So there's nothing yep. to worry about there. You just, you just spit out linear EXR files and that's that. Then what you want to do with those linear files in COM, that that's that's you know that's the responsibility of, of the of the comp department. But there's that that's the easier part of the process. That's the easiest part, just picking out linear files. 
that's usually you know, ideally rendering would be linear input, linear output. That's what it should be, right? So, and uh, different studios, you know, have different problems in how to provide linear inputs to the render with the texture maps, with color pickers, but the actual output from the render is just linear. This is, should be linear. There's no, nothing to well, discuss there. Well, the reason I'm saying that is obviously I have the option of doing the image color profile or the display color profile and say they're sRGB, but right. increasingly the 3D world is coming in contact with the broader pipeline that is looking at an ACES color workflow. And of course the, the gamut of ACES um, uh, is much wider than the gamut that you're getting in a, you know, Rec 709 or an sRGB or whatever. I'm just curious whether this kind of stuff is bumping into Arnold or whether it's yep. really, because I, I, it sort of feels like you should have a unified, you are kind of a premier high-end professional package after all. Right, no, but I guess what I'm saying is that the render should always output a linear um, image. And what you want to do with that linear image, that's your problem. So you can you can run that linear image through, you can display that as whatever, um, you know, uh, profile that you have in the, that particular monitor or display device, but the actual output from the render should always be linear. It, it should always be. We shouldn't, you shouldn't actually bake a particular, you know, um, color profile in your output files because then as you move those files around into different display devices or different applications, you will have to undo that color look at profile and, and, and all and end up with linear again. So so I guess what I'm saying is that the output of the render should always be linear. It then it's the responsibility yeah. of the of all of the color management, color applications to to do something with that linear. But that that's the thing about linear workflow. You have to always start with linear. Then you can do things on top of that. But if you start with something that's non linear, then all kinds of messiness ensues. So uh, yeah. As far as the render and, is and concerned, you just have to speed up. You, you are linear internally, obviously, but yeah. Um, but yeah, as you point out, so many textures aren't coming in uh, that way. I guess I, I I push Open Color IO because, of course, it's a Sony, um, it's Open Standard, but it's a sort of a Sony initiative, and you guys have such a good working relationship with Sony, it would seem like a natural fit. Yeah, no, but but um, the only I think the only place that I see where where Open Color IO would would uh, matter for us is in the input of the render, not in the output. Like I said, the output has to be linear. So there, there's, there's uh, no... Yes. The monitor output, though, and, you know, how I'm, how I'm viewing stuff. I mean, obviously, OpenColorIO handles a lot of LUTs for, for viewing as well as final rendering. Anyway, it's, it's a, I don't mean to go down a rat hole, but I'm, I'm just curious on your position. Yeah, so I'll give you, I'll give you one example where things like OpenColorIO are important. Um, when you know when we render many texture maps, the texture maps have to be pre-processed into what we call TX files, which are tiled, uh, mid-mapped files, which are very efficient to load at render time. Okay, so when you have gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes of texture data, those files are stored in, in a tiled uh, mid-map representation that we call TX files. And there's an application; uh, it's an open image I/O application called MakeTX that creates those files out of whatever input files you have, like like perhaps your texture maps are stored in uh, JPEGs or TIFF files or whatever. So you have to process those 
textures and we make text and, and then create a TX file. Well, that's where color correction is important. And, and it's, it's in that make TX application, that's where the color correction has to be done really carefully so that all of these nitmap levels of the texture are done just right and filtered just right. So that's very important. That's true. And um, yeah, that's that's one of the things that, but that's kind of like external to the render itself. Again, the render yes. is like linear input, linear output. That's it. So how is um, the company going overall, Solid Angle? Um, you opened an office in London. Um, you still have the office in London? Yeah, so we've got, uh, uh, there's like four or five people in London. And actually this week just there's another new developer in London. Um, got another one coming up. And and then and then the, the entire company actually it's not just Madrid in London. We've got a couple of developers in Salt Lake City, uh, there's San Francisco, there's Montreal, there's Los Angeles, there's Italy. So we're still a bit spread out. But but yeah, the two the two main places are Madrid and London. How are you uh, reading the industry? Then you're in a very good position to um, assess the industry. Your personal perspective on it. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, um, as far as, uh, I mean, what we do is we, we sell software licenses. Okay. And, um, as far as I can tell, to, you know, our sales are picking up, our sales have always been increasing. And then, you know, people have been talking a lot about, uh, crisis in the industry and a few big studios have gone down, but I don't think that people talk much about the new studios that are created. So, you know, a couple of big studios go down, but then, you know, maybe 20 other medium-sized studios open up. So uh, I, I don't hear much of that. I don't hear much talk about that, but I see that in the sales. So, uh, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's always constant sales from new places. So as far as I can tell, the industry is uh, in a reasonably uh, healthy uh Position, and I mean, and I'm, and I mean worldwide. I mean, you can, you can always, you can of course say that particular hotspots like Los Angeles or whatever are, are having trouble, but you know, uh, worldwide there's there's a lot of uh, studios out there opening up all the time. So yeah, I don't know what to say. I, I don't see a particular uh, problem with the industry from my point of view. It doesn't mean that there's no real problem, but I, I don't really get to see it. it. Doesn't really get to affect us very much. And I hope that. You know, it continues that way. And that the, I mean, uh, if you think about it, there's a constant, there's an increase in demand for more and more CG all over the world. So, you know, that that's going to drive the industry, has to drive the industry. Um, I don't, I don't know about the economics inside the studios. I don't know how, you know, how they run their business and how difficult it is to run their business in certain places. But as far as global demand for rendering software, I see that increasing. We've talked about feature films, but there's some impressive work done in the area of commercials. I mean, I'd offer up 98% Human by the Mill as just being a, a really beautiful piece of uh, rendering. Right. Do you want to talk about that split for Arnold customers in terms of, you know, not just feature films? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, uh, commercials is a really important, uh, it's our second uh, biggest uh, area of, uh, of, you know, for our, our customers. So we've got a lot of uh, clients in the in the commercial space all over the world. And I don't see that going down either. I mean, there's, a, there's more and more demand for, for commercials everywhere. So that's going really well. And um, 
I don't know, there's, there's super brilliant places all over the world. Some of them, it's interesting that some of these uh, commercial, uh, traditionally commercial uh, places are are um, trying their luck into other areas like like film or cinematics or whatever. Like for example, I can I can think of a project right now. Uh, there's a, there's a company in Belgium called Nozon, N-O-Z-O-N. And they've been doing a lot of commercials for many years, and they really high-quality commercials. Well, they just released, in partnership with uh, with another studio in Belgium called uh, Grid Productions, they just released a new fil- feature film. Uh, I think it was released uh, two days ago in France. It's called, what is it called? Um, um, I don't know how to spell this in English. It's called Minuscule. Minuscule. Is that how you say it? Minuscule, yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful, I don't know if you've seen that project, but you should look it up or I can send you the link later. It's a project about live action um, backgrounds, like a forest with vegetation, okay? It's like real vegetation. But then they have CG insects on, composed on top of that. And it's like a really funny, uh, uh, you, you gotta see this to understand, but it's like a really funny animation. It's like not super, super photo real, but by, by getting there, and a very cartoony and squash and stretch and very funny. So, you know, I guess I'm talking about this because it's a commercial place that's like tipping or dipping their toes into other areas as well. So, you know. So what's, that, what's the name of the uh, VFX company again? Yeah, the VFX company is called Nozon, N-O-Z-O-N. They're based in Belgium. Belgium. Okay. And uh, I think they partner with another Belgian company called Grid Productions, I'll send you the link later. And I, I know Grid VFX. Yeah, yeah. Grid, grid VFX, and the other one is called Nozong. And Nozong is uh, traditionally they do mostly commercials, but it's funny that they've, they've been working on this feature film, which is uh, it's like the feature film version of a TV series that has played in France, I think, for for a few years. So it's a very well-known property, and they just made a feature film out of it. So you know, it's just an example of like some some of these commercial places do so such high quality work that sometimes they get into feature films as well. So uh, this this is um, this has been really terrific catching up with you. I don't normally do this, but I did have one thing that's been coming up on the radar. I've heard from now three sources, so maybe you could just uh, squash a rumor for me. Uh, but there was a rumor that after all these years of you uh, owning um, Solid Angle and Arnold, you're actually uh, selling out to a, a big company, a large multinational company. Any rumor in that, or are we staying where we are? Oh, that's, uh, um, I, I'm surprised to hear. So, yeah, there's nothing to comment on that. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any particular plans now to sell out. So. I, I had understood that after you've dedicated so many years to the uh, to the product that you wouldn't be walking away, but um, but you're probably aware that there's a very persistent rumor going around that you are, so we can just put that to bed, which is good. Yeah, it's just a rumor. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, selling out is something that's always in the radar for anybody with the company, so you know, everybody has a price, but there's nothing. I mean, you know, cause I'm, not, I'm not in a particular hurry to sell the company at all, so things are going well, and uh, you know. We'll see what happens. Um, and well, and uh, and I'm sure users are really glad to hear that because you have such a good relationship with your uh, your user community. Oh yeah, I mean it's something I, I, that I would never want to lose anyway. Like even if we sold the company, I don't think I, don't think I would want to, you know, to to distance ourselves from from the actual user. So you no, know, 
Uh, I, I mean, uh, if, if I can say a couple more things. So one thing, I think this year is going to be great for us because of Asia. We're starting like, like you know, we have never done much in Asia so far. But this year, there's going to be uh, a couple of big deals that are almost uh, closing now. I can't comment on those yet, but, you know, we can probably talk about those here at another point in time. And they're pretty pretty big deals. And um, customers that you probably know, I mean, I'm sure you know. So I think this year is going to be very big for us in Asia, and which is a, you know, huge market. So that'll be great. Yeah, Asia certainly has become a really interesting um, area. And I guess that's one of the great things about Arnold and why I was asking you earlier about your view of the industry because one you know, tends to uh, bump into the same crowd in your area. But, but as a render company, that you are getting clearly, you, you know, there's a lot of hype in the industry. But if people are actually rendering and actually using your product around the world, then you get a great snapshot of where the production is and what's going on. Um, you, you, can't, you can't pretend... Uh, when it comes down to rendering, you're either rendering or you're not. So um, yeah, you get a really good view on the world stage, but more exposure into Asia would seem like a very sort of good choice for the company. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean there, there's there's a few things happening in Asia, in Asia but like uh, there's in particular there's things going on in Shanghai, in Mumbai, and uh, it, it, it's something that I you know I've never been. Uh, following up on what's going on in Asia very actively myself because I've been so busy with, with so many other things. But it looks like this year, like I'm, I'm probably going to have to go there myself a few times and, uh, you know, um, travel around and, and see how things are going and, and follow up with uh, with new potential customers there. And it's going to be great because, uh, um, you know, I've never been over there and I'm looking forward to, to visiting all these other places that I've never been to. Sidgraph Asia this year is in China. That would seem to be a great opportunity for you. Yeah, so it's. I think I've only been once to Sigraf Asia, and that was in 2009 in Japan, in Yokohama. That was great, and I'm looking forward to going there again. Well, again, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us and uh, filling us in on what the company's been up to. We really appreciate. It. We always enjoy talking to you. So thank you. Thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. Well, that was good, Mike and Marcus. Thanks for joining us for that. It was really good to hear that. Yeah, no, it's a really good uh, thing to catch up with. Uh, Marcus, he's very good with us in terms of uh, stories and availability. He's always uh, making himself available to discuss stuff because we've obviously done some pretty serious technical pieces on rendering, and uh, he's always been keen to sit down and talk with me uh, at length about some of the technical aspects of the stuff that they're doing, and I think it's, uh, it's really good. And, you know, there's uh, great advances in rendering these days. Yeah, certainly a changing area. Fast changing area. So we have a bunch of good stuff coming up uh, on the show, a ton of um, good things. One of the things that's got a lot of, um, just if I could sort of self-promotional plug here for a second, one of the things I've been getting good feedback from, uh, including some real industry heavyweights who commented on it at the VS show, is the Lego movie uh, FX Guide TV that we have up on the site at the moment. So if you haven't seen that FX Guide TV, check it out. Um, the Lego guys over at Animal Logic, uh, we sat down with them. Great guys, very very funny movie. So um, I, I thought it was it. a great episode. I was, uh, you know, I'm not in that market sure. demographic. I mean, it was funny. The Monday after the movie came out, I went to work, and so many people with kids saw it that weekend. Yeah. I it. And I just before I heard the box office, I, I knew and I checked the box office it was going to be high just based on the fact. I that, think it just broke 100 million. Yeah, I think so too. So that's cool. Okay, yeah. well, thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Mike. It's good to do these in person every now and then. And uh, thanks for uh, bringing us that interview. Have a good trip home. Thanks, man.
please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.